I really want to try and reimagine the British footwear industry using post-consumer waste as a, a primary material, a precious material, and a, a material that's celebrated. I think that is one of my big goals. Welcome to Brave New Girl podcast. I'm Lou Hamilton and I'm an artist, author and founder of the podcast guesting agency Brave New Girl Media. If you're interested in the health and well-being of people and the planet, then you're in the right place. My guests are change makers, focused on doing their bit towards the greater good and showing us that even taking small actions in the right direction, we can have a big impact on the world we live in. So all aboard the mothership. Let's do this together. My guest this week is Helen Kirkham, a multi-award winning designer and pioneer in sustainable footwear whose studio was born on the fundamentals of rescuing old trainers to create pieces that raise awareness of post-consumer waste. Wherever possible, they incorporate recycling and upcycling into their products, breathing new life into discarded sneakers. Welcome, Helen, to Brave New Girl podcast. Hi, Helen, how are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Really excited to be chatting to you today. I'm really excited about this too. I first discovered you on the wall of my son's flat in Amsterdam where they have a print of uh, your kind of deconstructed sneakers. So actually, whether I don't know whether it's one of yours that's deconstructed or just a one that has been taken apart and you can see all the different components. So tell me what it is that you do for those that have the joy of being about to discover you <laughs> and all the, the fans out there. Tell us what you do and what you're trying to do with sneakers. Yeah, so I'm Helen. I have my own brand, Helen Kirkham Studio, uh, which is, we've been running for about four years now. It's actually our fourth birthday. Yeah, I'm essentially trying to reimagine the British footwear industry using post-consumer waste. So I really work on um, tackling issues around post-consumer waste, which is essentially everything that ends up in landfill that's been worn by us that doesn't have, you know, a recycling system around it or somewhere for it to go. So I take single shoes from um, a recycling centre that I work with. I break them all down to their component pieces and then I use those to make new shoes. So when you say single shoes, does that mean ones that have lost their partner? Yeah, exactly. So one of the things we also always focus on is just trying to educate people around recycling because it's such a la uh, like a, a landfill, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> such a minefield. <laughs> totally is. Yeah. Um, and I think even us, you know, people that work in the sustainability industry, we still don't really understand a lot of it. So you know, for people that aren't confronted with this every day is so difficult to understand. But basically, when you recycle your shoes, if you ever put them in one of those um, clothing bins, if you don't tie the laces together or secure them together as a pair, obviously, in the sorting process, they then get taken to a van into another van. Duh, 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 and then by the time they get to the recycling centre, you know, one might be in one van and one's in another van. So even if you recycle your shoes with the best will in the world that they'll go to someone in need, if they're not actually secured together, then they can end up lost. And obviously, because the recycling centre are dealing with things on such a fast turnaround, they can't be like, oh, I saw that Air Force One five minutes ago. They have to just, you know, they basically, they essentially have this massive bank of single shoes and they throw them essentially behind over their heads into this single shoe bin. And then that's what we use as our raw materials. So I do want to go into how it came about and, and what exactly it is that you do. But first of all, I saw, I don't know if it was on your website or on a, a YouTube video, but of a trainer or a sneaker that you've 
actually taken apart and you've kind of laid out all the components and there's something like a hundred hundred different components is that right so there's a few so the sneaker archaeology print that um, you were saying that's on your son's um, wall which is amazing those prints that we do that's loads of different shoes deconstructed so that actually the the purpose of those prints as well as looking really nice and interesting is actually to help showcase like you said all the different components that go into shoes um, and that's why shoes are also notoriously difficult to recycle because they have so many different materials within them so yeah but the average shoe that we deconstruct um it usually has maybe like six to eight usable panels that we can use for then our own shoes so we essentially deconstruct everything with a scalpel i have a team of deconstructors in the studio and they just sit there they take apart the shoes they're they're so good and i mean they make competitions out of it they've got a leaderboard like it's all on the go like how many shoes they can deconstruct and stuff um and yeah deconstruct the components and then once we have the raw components we basically use those to make a new shoe so we build a material from all the component pieces and then from that material we'll cut our shoe do you design your own look of a of a shoe or are you using like the base of a shoe that's already in existence and that each one is different? And how has that changed kind of over time? Yeah, it's definitely developed over time. So when we started the studio around 2019, we were really b- working on bespoke products. So I graduated from my master's degree at the Royal College of Art doing footwear. And then I started on this bespoke journey, creating shoes for individual clients. But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be able to scale this somehow. So actually last September, we just launched our Palimpsest shoe, which is essentially our own ready-to-wear model. So that's um, like a low-top white sneaker. We wanted to create our version of a luxury white sneaker, essentially, but with post-consumer waste at, at the heart. But each shoe is different because of the way that we collage all the material and all the components together everybody's pair will look completely different, which I really love because it keeps that story of bespokeness from where the studio started, but we've managed to scale it and, you know, start to actually make some tangible change, which is quite exciting. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Going from from creating one-offs to actually building a brand that still has the kind of echoes of one-offs, but is is as you say scalable and that entrepreneurial journey i want to hear more about but let's first find out who you are at your core and see whether there are any clues in your childhood to the woman that you've become the entrepreneur that you've become the artist and designer that you've become yeah i think it's so interesting because i think as you go through this journey as an entrepreneur you sort of realize that everything comes back to how you were as a child somehow. So I'm still sort of discovering those stories that connect back. But yeah, I think, I mean, my mum used to make clothes for us, uh, me and my sister as kids. So we would always have to be the models for all her designs and all her like one pieces with a matching hat and all that sort of thing so i definitely i grew up around you know she had a domestic sewing machine and she was going to craft fairs and selling clothes that she made so i grew up around that and then my dad also is a design engineer so he's a lot more technical so i sort of had these two different influences in my life growing up which i think led me kind of unknowingly onto this path 
you said that you when you sort of headed out into the world that you wanted to be an architect in a sense you have taken that kind of sense of three-dimensional structures but instead of it being kind of big buildings in public spaces they're they're small structures that are created around the human anatomy were you disappointed not to become an architect what what was your kind of plan and dream going out into the world yeah, I think that's such a nice way to describe a shoe. I've never really thought about it like that before, but it is that is so true. And I think I I always had all these different ideas of what I want to be. I want to be an architect. I want to be a fine artist. I wanted to do fashion. And then when I did my um, A-levels, I did maths and physics because I was like, I'm going to be an architect. And then I failed both of them. And I was like, I'm not going to be an architect. And I really feel like I I sort of I found I stumbled on footwear by accident. I was um, going to graduate fashion week because I wanted. To, then I was like, I'm going to do fashion. I'm going to you know make clothes. I was looking around all the different fashion unis and I discovered the University of Northampton and they had this footwear stand. I was like, shoes. And it just never crossed my mind that a shoe is something that people even design. I just thought they magically appeared in the world and everybody wears shoes. So as soon as I saw that, it's exactly like you said, it was like, it's architecture, it's textiles, it's art, it's fashion, it's everything in sort of one like perfectly formed object. So I think after I saw that, I was just sort of hooked and I just made a beeline for footwear. I researched all the different unis that studied footwear and then I ended up going to Northampton, I think because I had that moment where I really fell in love with them on that stand and also Northampton's sort of the home of the British footwear industry so it's got amazing connections to a lot of like British footwear factories um yeah and I went there and did my BA and then I was good at it so I just carried on. So were you then working for other brands making designing making footwear what was that that process and were you very much in the mindset of well, there are certain things that, that you can make. There are different kinds of shoes and boots. And I mean, there's not a kind of massive choice of basics that you can that you can go for. But I guess there's a lot of kind of room for creativity within that. But maybe not necessarily if you're working under somebody else's vision. So what, what was your experience of that? Yeah, definitely. Well, I first of all, started going into trainers or sneakers because really my own personal style I was I didn't really want to design stilettos or heels and unfortunately back when I was at uni in 2010 2011 it was sort of the stereotype that if you were a girl designing shoes you would want to do heels and so even that I always wanted to do flat shoes I wanted to do brogues I was interested in sneakers and then when I went to study my MA at the Royal College of Art you also had to specialize into menswear or womenswear and footwear so I actually chose menswear because it allowed me to not have to have the conversation that I don't do stilettos and heels and yeah if you did a womenswear people expected that you knew how to do that and I don't know I couldn't design a stiletto so I don't I wouldn't know where to start so that was an interesting kind of experience um but my shoes have always been sort of ungendered and unisex um and the shoes that we do now at the brand are all unisex as well we we try to offer an inclusive size run from 3 to 13 so we really want to just make this luxury white leather sneaker that's available to anyone but yeah so that was that experience and then I graduated from my MA at RCA 2016 and I actually worked for Adidas for a year in Germany in their head office in Nuremberg and that was amazing that was a really good experience but it was a very I went from RCA which was 
extremely artistic and creative to you know this giant corporation which was yeah i learned a lot there but after i was there for a year i felt like my i had started something valuable on my ma and i just sort of left it there for the world and i wasn't in control of it and i was like i'm going to take the risk i'm going to come back to london didn't really have a plan didn't really have any money and was just like i'm just going to make a studio you know what much to my parents like dismay like you've got such a good job what are you doing so yeah that was you know that was 2017 and i told myself i'll give myself a year and see how it goes and uh still going <laughs> you'd come across reuse and i guess recycling upcycling when you were doing your ma and and i think the royal college of art has got increasingly good around that kind of whole exploration of new materials and sustainability and so i don't know whether they were then but certainly now they seem to be like really really pushing their students to be looking at this and and really encouraging them to to think about the kind of the bigger picture but you said that you you kind of had an aha moment when you went to trade which do you want to explain what that is and what dead stock is and how it kind of made you think oh this could be something yeah definitely so when i was studying at rca it was actually the textiles class that had a trip to trade which was a <clears throat> it's a recycling center based in wembley in london and you might have seen around you i think they have bins all around the uk they're like green recycling bins and you can donate all your clothes and shoes and everything there and their main warehouse is in wembley so it was a trip there to see the recycling center and i was like my tutor was like, oh, Helen, you might enjoy this. Why don't you go along? So I just tagged along with the textiles class. And that's when I really saw, that's when I first discovered the single shoe issue because I didn't, I'd never thought about it before. So I saw that they had all these single shoes that were coming through and yeah, just saw sort of like the mass that was there. I think that was sort of an aha moment for me where I was like, this is such a valuable resource. And it's also something that nobody gets to see and nobody understands. So I think that since then, really, it's been my mission to not only utilise the waste for something good, but also to share and kind of just be a bit more transparent with the with the things that are happening and what happens to our waste at the end of its life. And um, yeah, whenever we do campaigns or when we release new products, we're always trying to showcase the process of making, the process of deconstruction and all those all those elements that go into the final shoe. When you first discovered these single shoes, what made you think that, okay, so what I need to do next is take it apart and then try and do something with it? <laughs> <laughs> I think because, I mean, for me at, at Northampton, I really learned how a shoe was made and like a traditional shoe. And then when I was at RCA, I was sort of challenging myself to almost unmake a shoe and to work out how it could be made differently. Can we challenge the norms of the way that we construct shoes? Can we create different construction methods? So all my projects leading up to this one at RCA were sort of exploding a shoe, turning it upside down, turning it inside out, turning it on its head. So I was always looking at changing the construction in some way. So then when I started looking into sneakers. I'd never made one before, so I wanted to discover how they were made. And then for me, the obvious step to work out how something is made is to take something apart. So I actually started asking friends for their old sneakers to take apart and no one would give me their shoes. And I realized that there's something specifically about sneakers that even when they're battered and falling apart, we don't want to part with them. 
and we have sort of a, a really emotional connection to them. So that's again why I went to trade. I was like, oh, they'll have some old shoes. I thought they might have like, you know, a Sainsbury's bag full of old shoes. And then I saw like 50 tons of shoes and I was like, oh, they've got quite a lot. Yeah, that's sort of, that's how that happened. And I think within my work, you can always see the parallels between trying to share, you know, shed light on the beauty of the material, but also the memories that are embedded in the material and how, you know, there's such a resurgence of sort of vintage now as it is and i think that especially within anything made of leather it has such an interesting life to it the way that it changes and i think we're trying to you know showcase that and and celebrate it so when you first started you, you set up your studio you're going right okay i'm, I'm going to do bespoke sneakers out of old single sneakers giving them a new life and you've deconstructed and then you're reconstructing to your own design or to, I guess if it's bespoke, it's to someone says, oh, I really fancy this kind of sneaker. Can you do that? And then you take all the different bits from the different, different shoes and put them together. For someone that hasn't seen one of your pieces, can you kind of paint us a picture of one of those early shoes? Yeah, I think how do I describe it? It's just a load of old shoes mixed together. <laughs> no, it's, um, <laughs> I think, exactly. it's, yeah, it's, I, isn't it? yeah, it's like a collage. I think for me, yeah. I, it was always just taking things that sort of don't match things that maybe shouldn't go together and seeing how we can, yeah, collage them. Again, it comes into this kind of fine art feeling. It's like a painting almost. And we sort of, you know, arrange all the pieces on a canvas, which ends up being the shoe. So I think if you see one of my shoes for the first time, you can definitely expect to see pieces that are in the wrong place. So it might be something you recognize like a toe component, but it's not going to be on the toe. It's going to be on the side. It's going to be on the heel. It's like we, it's important to me to always try and utilize the pieces in a way that people recognize them, but they're not really used to seeing it in that way. So yeah, everything will just be a bit like mismatched, a bit in the wrong place, um, upside down, inside out. But it sort of creates this real textural and tactile collage. I think when any, whenever anyone sees my shoe in real life, they always want to touch it. Because I think it has this real tactile element to it where um, we use a zigzag stitch to stitch everything together. So it, um, it really does feel like this sort of patchwork. Yeah, and that's, uh, and that's what we do. <laughs> you know when you're kind of starting out and you've you're doing bespoke uh shoes are you were you also thinking i do want to scale this i do want to run this as a business how on earth can i do bespoke shoes to to a scale and allow more people to kind of have access to it you know in a relatively short time isn't what you said four years yeah. to go from individual kind of almost like art pieces to being in a position where you you can create a kind of whole run of what would you how do you call it a run yeah, like a ready to wear um, yeah ready to wear collection. collection yeah I think it's um so funny because when I was at RCA and like in my early years I had this concept and I was really passionate about it and I the kind of feedback that I always got is like, it's not scalable, it's not scalable, not scalable, not scalable. That's what everyone always used to say to me. And quite often I would get the feedback, why don't you use the old shoes as inspiration to make a new shoe? And I just was like banging my head against a brick wall at some point because I was like, this is not the point. The point is to use the shoes 
And I think for me, I always wanted this sort of really obvious version of recycling. I think quite often with recycling, there's a lot of chemical recycling. There's a lot of grinding down material, making it into a new material and trying to make that material look like a virgin material. And for me, I wanted to make something that was easy to understand. It's like I look at that shoe, I can see it's made from old shoes. And I think that that also gives the material more of a longevity because it still has the chance to get broken down later in life when it finally does reach its end of life. But at the moment, if the material is good how it is, then let's keep it how it is, was kind of my my perspective on it. So yeah, so I definitely battled with a few things at RCA and sort of early doors where everyone was trying to persuade me to see the single shoes as inspiration like oh they have great marks they have great scuff marks they have and you know that's existed in fashion for a long time this idea of this deconstructed kind of aesthetic but it just didn't make any sense to me to get a brand new piece of leather and make it look old i was like but i've got old i've got old leather here i'm just gonna use this one (laughs) yeah so that that was definitely a challenge and i think in those moments you really just have to like stick to your gut and just i think i knew that it was possible to get to this point, but it's um, it's definitely been been a long road to get here. And it's also about finding the right partners as well. So trade have been an amazing support ever since RCA. That's still where we get all our single shoes from now. And Jose, who works there in the factory, is just in the warehouse is just so accommodating and he really believes in what we're doing, which is incredible. So I think it's like finding partners like that that see your vision and are happy to just, they're like, I don't really know what this crazy woman's doing but let's just give her the benefit of the doubt and like see what happens so yeah I really you know I really appreciate those those things and that's what allowed us to get to in September finally being able to do a ready-to-wear collection and it's still really small I mean it's only we only made a hundred shoes so it's still a really relatively small production run in the grand scheme of things but compared to doing one to doing a hundred is quite a big yeah big jump and then kind of the other side of the creation is this sort of whole consumer thing that we're kind of facing and so i'm doing a one year no new gear this year so i'm not buying any any new clothes for a a year although i have given my i have given myself the permission to buy trainers (laughs) that's fine as long as they're ours it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly but i'm always kind of trying to encourage people to kind of see the bigger picture of you know where we're at with climate change and stuff but i also see whilst there are people who are the kinds of people that can really get out there and shout and protest and do kind of the big things and push for policy change and and all of that there's also kind of the majority of people who it terrifies them so much the idea of it that they just can't think they're kind of frozen in terror and so they bury their head in the sand or they just feel like well, what can I do? I'm one person that is going not going to have any effect from what you're doing. I'm just like the the episode that's come out this week is a, a woman who has a B Corp carbon negative clean coffee brand. Oh, awesome. And I always say to people, well, you don't have to be the person that kind of creates new shoes or a different slant on shoes. or you don't have to be the person that that has a coffee brand, but you can choose what coffee brand you buy or what trainers you buy so i think that you know that the kind of flip side of what you're doing is that you're encouraging people to kind of look at the world in a different way and whilst they're possibly going to be more expensive because there's more work that goes into what you're making if people are buying less then they can go okay well i'm not going to buy so much but i am going to buy something that that has real ethical value in it 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's a few things because I think sustainability at the moment is still unfortunately kind of in the early stages. So it does come with a certain privilege in some ways. A lot of sustainability is sustainable things are more expensive. So, and you know, what we're doing is luxury level. So we're, you know, we're very aware that we're not creating something that's super accessible to everyone. But I think on the flip side of that, we're, that's why I like to be very transparent with the way that we create the products because if somebody maybe can't buy into what we're doing, but they might learn something from us, they might feel inspired by us, then I think that's also a really big impact that we can have that's not necessarily just through buying our products. And actually, it's really cool when people DM me on Instagram and they might be like, oh, I found your work. So instead of throwing away my Converse, I, you know, sewed, sewed up a hole on them. I cut something off. I added something. I changed the laces. I painted them. And they've increased the longevity of their product by being inspired by what we do. Um, so I think that that's all part of it as well for me. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely still a work in progress, a kind of sustainable world, and it is such a minefield. I always say that our products are kind of for easygoing anarchists because it's like, it's, some, it's someone like me that's like, I care about the planet, I want to do good, but... I also want it presented to me really beautifully in an easy and beautiful box and an incredible product. And it's something that makes me feel good, makes me look good, but also gives me an amazing story to tell and gives me, you know, great conversation. It's a great conversation starter. I think that's something that's always so cool about our products that people, whether it's bespoke or whether it's our palimpsest shoe, people sort of look at them confused. And I think it always starts a conversation like, oh, what is that then? Is that... You know, is that sometimes if there's like branding on it, people might be like, oh, what is that? Is that something? Is that? So I think it's really it's one of the coolest things that when people are wearing our products that it ignites a conversation about a bigger issue. So it's definitely a lot for me at the moment. Yeah, our goal is post-consumer waste, working with trying to keep single shoes out of landfill. And at the moment, that's a big enough beast to deal with. And once we've sorted that, we'll move on to something else. <laughs> I think that's right, though. I think that, you know, we each have to kind of be in our corner, you know, whatever it is that's your thing, do that thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, somebody else will be doing another thing. And then together, we're all helping. And as you say, you know, there was this, you know, this whole thing of, well, you know, your, your white trainers are going to be super white. Well, actually, they don't. And, you know, so maybe after seeing your trainers, people aren't going to throw theirs away for after one season they'll make them last and think actually maybe they're cooler looking exactly. older and scuffed up it is a kind of re-education across across the board in in that sense isn't it yeah it's been really interesting for me to see how sort of the consumer landscape has changed over time because when i graduated in 2016 and i showed my collection people really didn't understand at all what i was doing and at that point, you know, all shoes were so white and shiny on the shelf. Like you wouldn't have, especially in the sneaker landscape, you know, it's driven by newness. It's driven by hype. So you wanted the the cleanest thing, the newest thing. You want this box fresh feeling. So I came totally out of left field doing things the way that I was. And to be honest, I hadn't even really thought about it. I was like, la, 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 I'm making my MA collection and it's all arty. And then I sort of presented it and realized this sneaker world that I was immersed in kind of weren't really ready for it so it's been really interesting to see the acceptance over time grow and I definitely think it's going in the right direction but for me getting in with that audience that are 
you know, really into streetwear, really into hype culture and actually presenting something interesting to them, I think is a really cool avenue to go down because it's this sort of product doesn't exist in their landscape at the moment. Yeah, the acceptance is growing. You're like the Trojan horse, aren't you? <laughs> Helen, <Yeah. laughs> literal Helen of Troy. <laughs> so as the landscape changes and hopefully we're all kind of becoming a bit more kind of aware and doing our you know doing what we can to sort of help the the planet and you're doing like amazing things with with the studio what's your vision for the future i think i mean in terms of big goals i really want to try and reimagine the british footwear industry using post-consumer waste as a, a primary material, precious material and a, a material that's celebrated. I think that is one of my big goals. Our Palimpsest sneaker that we just released is also made in England. So we're working with an amazing factory in Sheffield called Goral. So we really wanted to try and keep the production as local as possible. And I, I really believe in starting to build up the British footwear industry or support the British footwear industry with what I'm doing. So that's definitely one of the big goals. And then, yeah, just getting out, I think, to a wider audience to, you know, impact bigger change across the sneaker landscape. And then sort of my personal goal for the business is to build a business where you know, the team have great, you know, work-life balance. We're, we're building a really strong team, diverse team, and really trying to, trying to create a lot of change, not just externally, but also internally within the fashion industry from the ground up. So we're really trying to do everything right from the start. Yeah, build a sort of luxury household name that does good. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're well on the way. You're definitely nailing it. And it does take courage doing what you do, like stepping out of the mainstream, doing something differently, being creative, really pushing the boundaries, being at the cutting edge. All of that takes a lot of courage. How do you define courage from the inside? I think it's really trusting your intuition and trusting your gut. I think sometimes there's so many external pressures, there's so many people's opinions, especially when you're doing something different. You know, people, everyone's going to have an opinion on how you should grow, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And I think it's just being, being brave and having courage is really like sitting with yourself and thinking like, what is important to me and what makes sense to me? And just going for that, even if it's things that other people don't agree with, even if it's things that people are advising you against, um, you know, you sort of, I think I've been quite good all through my career of sticking to my gut. My Nana actually used to have a really nice saying, which was just, you can only do what you think's right at the time. And whenever I would, I don't know, like be stressed about something like a boyfriend or something and be like whatever throughout my life, she would always say to me, you can only do what you think's right at the time. So even if in this moment I've made a decision that in two years time, I'm like, oh, why did I do that? I should have taken that money. I should have taken that project. I should have quit my job. I should have whatever. Like at the time, that was the right thing for you to do. So I think I try and think about that because then it helps me live without, you know, regrets for like the way that I've handled the business. And I think it's also understanding what you don't know a lot of the time. I think for me, you know, when you learn fashion, when you go to a fashion uni, you don't get taught how to run a business. 
everyone's like, make a namesake brand, la la la, like that would be great. And then you start doing it and you're like, cool, what's a cash flow? What's a, you know, how do I deal with this contract? There's so many things that just, just get sort of thrown on your plate and it's just having the courage to just learn as you go along and ask for advice from people and just find that network of people around you that want to support you and just um, lean into them. Um, I'm so lucky to have such an amazing team now in the studio. We've, we're a team of five and we're really, I feel like I've got the best team around me to really start to grow this now. So yeah, I think it's being honest with yourself and other people and just um, trust in your gut. Thank you so much, Helen, for helping us to think about our worn out fashion waste in a different way and to see how what we would have thrown away can be reconstructed into something new and desirable. I think what you're doing is absolutely brilliant. I just want everyone to know about you and yeah, just keep doing what you're doing and go for those goals. Go for that big dream. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Helen, for saving old sneakers from landfill and creatively giving them a whole new life to live. You can find out more about Helen's work on www.helenkirkham.com and follow her on LinkedIn at Helen Kirkham. Thank you, Brave New Girl Media, for producing and sourcing the guests for the show and to you for listening. I hope today's story inspires you to step into the spotlight and show how you too are positively impacting the world. Take care, choose courage, and see you next time.